This morning, I want, uh, want you to turn to Acts chapter 7. Acts chapter 7, turn there or tune in there. We'll get there in just a little bit. This morning, Susan came in the um, room and saw me playing Pac-Man. Pac-Man. She said, I guess you're ready to preach because you're playing Pac-Man. And uh, you don't know, ever know the preacher's psyche. Uh, I've got the Pac-Man pattern memorized so I can dominate. I don't know how I feel about the sermon, but Pac-Man makes me feel good about myself. So I was dominating this morning. Uh, Acts chapter 7, we're going to get there in just a second. Two little boys are sharing a hospital room, and one of them looks at the other and says, what are you in here for? The little boy said, well, I'm having my tonsils taken out. He goes, ah, oh, piece of cake. I had that done a couple of years ago. They put you to sleep. You wake up. You get all the ice cream and jello that you want. It's no problem. What are you in here for? And the boy said, um, circumcision. And the boy said, whoa, I had that done when I was born, and I hadn't been able to walk for a year. This morning, we're going to talk about wounds, but not the uh, physical kind. In fact, I've got a, a 10th grader up in the balcony with a, with a cast on. He broke his arm uh, last week. We're, we're going to talk about wounds, but not those kind, but the spiritual kind. And I figure if we're going to talk about wounds, uh, let's move a little bit beyond the serious, uh, silly rather, to the serious, and let's give a, a definition um, of a wound. A wound can be defined this way. It's a deep sense that a core part of you, um, is unloved, unaccepted, and unwanted. It is, a, I would put in front of that, an, a spiritual or emotional injury that can forever affect us. Now what I want to do this morning as we have um, <clears throat> launched this new series called Where is God? We're looking at the life of Moses. And last week we looked at where is God when I'm waiting. And this morning we're going to look at where is God when I'm wounded. And I want us to... Um, Take Moses off the platform, off that place of prominence. Uh, let's move him away from the superhero, phenomenal leader into a case um, in child development. Now, you have to understand, before Moses became Moses, he was a little child. And as a little child, he didn't realize he would be the deliverer of the people of Israel. He had not read, yet read the book of Exodus. And Moses... Let's just pretend, I've, I've, I've speculated if he were to stand here in front of us today at Fondren Church on February the 1st, 2015 and, and kind of tell us his story, I surmise that it would, it would go a little bit like this. If he was in a, a, wounders, a, a wounded um, group, he would say this about his story. He would begin, of course, by saying, hi, my name is Moses. Uh, I hear that you're doing... Um, a sermon series about my life. So I would love to share with you my story. I was born in a, in a time of, of great danger. In fact, my life and the life of every little Hebrew boy was in jeopardy. I guess you could say from the very beginning, I was a basket case. There was a king, a great king, who really <clears throat> was evil. And he felt threatened by the growing number of Israelites. So he sent a mandated edict throughout the land to kill every little Hebrew boy born under a certain age. My mom, she meant well, but she got a little basket. And she was panic-stricken. She was intentional about this, but she, she thought it was best. And she put me in this little basket on the reeds of the river and floated me down. And... Remarkably, the story gets even stranger when, uh, when you learn that I was discovered. I was discovered by a very significant, important VIP person, a princess. 
And this princess uh, had compassion on me. She adopted me. She knew that I would need nursing. And she summoned a Hebrew woman. That's a whole different story. But she summoned a Hebrew woman nearby who nursed me. And I was adopted uh, into this family. But I was different than the princess, the Pharaoh's daughter, by the way. I was different. She was different. I was in, I was in a different family, different Ethnically, different racially, different religiously. And I, I felt unconnected. I was part royalty and part slave. But in the low points of my life, I just I felt like more like slave. I felt more displaced. I felt honestly dinged up, a little bit wounded, a little bit unconnected. I, I didn't fit in. I wasn't like the other kids. And I spent a good part of my time living defensively. It, it boiled some insecurities to the surface of my life. I, I latched out at times in anger. Thank you for letting me tell my story. Moses, again off the platform, off the phenomenal leader, superhero stage, was someone like us, who had to deal with some wounds in his life. Any of you uh, ever uh, seen the giant redwoods of California? Have you been to that part of our, our country and you've, you've seen? It's just beautiful. I know in a room this size several have. and It's just a, a thing to behold. It, you, you're reminded of just how small you are. You marvel at a creator God. And there's one particular uh, sequoia, one redwood tree, uh, known as the General Sherman. And I know some of you are going to Google this later, so I better get my facts right. But uh, it's um, allegedly somewhere between 2,300 and 2,700 years old. And um, 36 people can stretch out their hands, 36 adults can stretch out their hands and circle this tree. It's, it's massive. But inside that tree, inside every giant tree, there are rings. There are uh, what... Tree specialists say, those who study arbor and the growth of trees and what's inside, they say that there are rings, and rings inside a tree tell a story. It, it tells those who study uh, how old the tree might be and what that tree might have experienced. Inside the ring of a tree, it could, it could, it could talk about the ring that says that year of drought, where the rains just didn't fall. It could talk about a ring of great rain and great growth. It could talk about a ring uh, that was hit by lightning or one of your golf balls. All the rings of a tree tell a story. Though on the outside, strong and sturdy, inside there's a story that oftentimes is different. And I got to thinking as I was looking at General Sherman online, and, and we've been there to look at some of these um, beautiful trees, I started to think that uh, that's you and I. I I'm going to tell you it's me. I don't know you like I know me. But on the outside, there's the, the strength, there's a sturdiness. But on the inside, there's a story. And I wonder today what the rings on the inside of you, on, on the inside of the tree that is you, what story it, it could tell. Maybe there's a ring for some of you that tells of a, an alcoholic father who would wound you with his words, maybe even chase your mom with a butcher knife. Maybe there's a, 
a ring that tells a story uh, of you growing up as a, an underachiever and you had sh- brought a report card home that showed some significant pros- progress, but you had one of those straight-A sisters and you felt that. Maybe there's a ring inside some of, some of you that says, I was adopted, and even though you grew up in a home where you experienced great love, you began to wonder, who was it that didn't want me? Maybe there's a ring, tragically, inside some of us that tells a story of when you were young and you were touched in an inappropriate way. And I say inappropriate, but it's just evil, downright evil. Maybe there's a ring that would tell a story of you never hearing that you were loved. A ring that tells the story of an email, a text message, a phone record that showed you that your spouse was living with a secret that you didn't know about and that what you thought was special and sacred and exclusive had been messed up. Maybe there's a ring inside of you when a door was shut on an opportunity, when a business failed. Or maybe there's a ring inside of some of us where you only feel love. You only feel alive when you're scoring or jumping or running or you're bigger or stronger or faster than the other guys. Rings tell us our stories. Though strong and sturdy, there are wounds inside of us. I know in our congregation we have a, a psychologist professor, PhD at Bellhaven. We've got uh, several who are clinical psychologists in our room. And I know every one of them would corroborate what I'm telling you this morning is that wounds get inflicted. We've defined a wound. And the first truth I want to say for any note takers is that wounds get inflicted. Look at Acts chapter 7 and verse 22. It tells us a little bit about Moses. Now, when Moses stood here in a moment ago, well, that is rod and staff. He, he told you about being abandoned, about being adopted, uh, about uh, n- feeling like he never fit in. Well, here we see how Moses compensated for the wounds that were afflicted. Moses, it says in Acts 7.22, Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deeds. How did he compensate for the wounds that got inflicted on his life like you do sometimes, like like we're prone to do uh, through education? He wanted to prove to people that he really was smart. And man, Moses, if you study it deeper, the guy was smart. He He went to the right schools, was trained by the right people. He got the right degrees. He was an intellectual stud. It says that he was mighty in his words. What does that mean? It means he could pack a punch. He could wow a crowd. He could motivate people to to do things. And it says, uh, uh, thirdly, that he was mighty in action, Uh, powerful in action. Some of your versions say Moses was a guy who could get things done. Don't you like that? If you lead a team or you've got an office environment, uh, who are you uh, most prone to turn things over to? You want someone who can get it done. And here's Moses hurting but compensating, very concerned in so many ways in this first 40 years about the the interior, um, neglecting the interior, I'm sorry, and focusing on the exterior. Now look at um, verse 23. It says something interesting. 
that some my age and older, you're going to really feel this morning. If not, you'll be there. And when you get there, call me. I've got some good advice. Gary turned 50 this year. But anyway, when he, Moses was 40. You remember 40, Gary? No. When he was 40 years old. Now let's just stop there. Keep the scripture up, but let's stop. Something just happens when we turn 40. Something happens. And it, it's, uh, it, it's like a beach ball. You know, the people that have been holding that beach ball down under the water, they've been holding it and holding it, and then just something surfaces. They, they, they let it go, and it's like people just say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be who I really am. And you find that to be true. I mean, it's, if you live with a 40-year-old or you've lived with a 40-year-old, you're looking at them going, oh, okay, so that's what you really believe, right? Oh, that's who you Oh, so now we know what you really like. Now we know what you're really after. Now we know your secrets and your motives and your priorities. Why? Because they turn 40 and there's something about that line in the sand of life. What did Moses do? He didn't get the red Ferrari or go uh, cheating, but it said he came, it came into his heart to what? To visit his brothers, the children of Israel. Very significant. Moses is saying, the beach balls come up, and for me, I want to reconnect with the part that feels so unconnected. It, it, it's that time. It's that time for me to know my people. To, to, I felt displaced, but now I want to I connect read about a story of a Mississippi man who was visiting New York City. And he went into a fancy restaurant on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. And the maitre d' told him that he could not enter and eat at that fancy establishment unless he was wearing a tie. And so Mississippi man goes out to his pickup truck and he grabs um, a pair of jumper cables and he ties it over himself and walks into that restaurant, and the man says, the maitre d' says, okay, I guess that'll work, but don't you go starting something. <laughs> Moses, in his attempt to fit in, started something. Moses wanted to start something. Look at the following verses. Verse 24 and 25, and seeing one of them being wronged, this is where it takes an ugly turn for Moses. He defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. Abandoned, wounded, foreigner for 40 plus years, seeking approval, wanting to impress, he lashed out. He, 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 wanted, to, he wanted his people to see what a deliverer he could be. And in his attempt to do so, someone loses. Someone loses their life. Look at verse 29 of Acts 7. At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian. Now, why did he flee? The obvious answer is this is sort of O.J. Simpson, right? I mean, somebody's dead. I'm out of here. But I believe really the deeper deal going on was what it says there, the word exile. Or for some of your versions, it's the word foreigner. Moses didn't belong anywhere. He didn't belong in Egypt. He didn't belong in Israel. And he says, I'm out of here. You see, wounds get inflicted 
And I would say secondly, that wounds get camouflaged. Stephen Burglass is an executive coach, a management consultant, um, and for 25 years, he worked as a clinical psychologist at Harvard Medical School. He wrote a book years ago called The Success Syndrome. I think he wrote this book. It was birthed after him doing clinical psychology work at Harvard during a rash of student suicides at this very elite university. And he talks about how that very successful people, we see them as running to something, but often they're running from something. And that success doesn't assuage. It doesn't, it, it, in fact, it exacerbates. Look what he says in one paragraph of the success syndrome. Success does not heal the wound. It exasperates it because it focuses the question, am I loved apart from what I do? Am I loved apart from what I do? I remember reading a story that some of you are aware of about a, an Olympic athlete several years ago who won gold medal, had product endorsements, lucrative deals, fame, great fortune. And his personal life was crumbling, but the public, the press didn't know, didn't allow it to be known. And he and his wife went through a very public and painful divorce. And at one point, the press, it seemed like someone was almost accusing her. And they were like, what's wrong? What a, what a great guy. How could you not stick with him? And this wife of a famous Olympian said the following, you, you see what he's running to, the finish line, the goals, the medals, the gold medals, but I live with him every day and I see what he's running from. You see, some of us, like Moses, aren't properly dealing with with the wounds in our lives, and we spend some time running, and we, as these wounds get in, inflicted in our lives, we, we begin to camouflage the wounds. And the third thing that I want to say is that eventually the infection seeps out. Eventually the infection seeps out. Eight times, if you know Moses' story, eight times the people of Israel rebelled against their leader. They, they wanted it easy. They wanted it comfortable. They wanted their God to be ever-present and to meet every need, desire, wish that they had. And when things didn't go well, you know this, on eight different occasions, they complained, and who did they take it out on? They took it out on their leader. And they, they said harsh things to their leader, and it promoted a pain. It was like knives cutting at Moses. It, it promoted a great pain. It, it led to his loneliness. Incidentally, let me say, if you're leading an organization, it can be lonely. You, you deal with people, anybody dealing with people. And to be the leader can be a, a tough place. And Moses um, experienced this. And as the people turn against him, this this built up, this wound that had been inflicted, these wounds that had been camouflaged, the infection seeps out, and we see it in Numbers chapter 20. And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock. And let me say before we get there, I, I, I want to give you some context. When the people were complaining on the eighth time, it was the eighth 
rebellion against Moses. And he goes and he seeks God and he says, God, what do you want me to do? And God, back to Moses, says, go to the rock, speak to the rock, and I will provide water for the people that are thirsty and that want to be back in Egypt. They're questioning your leadership. They're questioning where I am. You do as I say. And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank and their livestock. But notice, if you'll look at verse 11 again, Moses didn't speak to the rock. He struck the rock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. Now what's happening here? Why, question for you, very important question. Why did Moses not do exactly as God instructed? Why did he not speak to the rock, but why did he strike it? Why did Moses hit the rock? Was it because he forgot what the Lord said? Not likely because there was immediacy to this. Was it because Moses wasn't a detailed person? He's a, a big picture guy, right? Moses, you think, is a panoramic kind of leader. He's a visionary. But what we do know from the Bible, from Exodus 18, is that Moses was uh, kind of a micromanager. He loved details. In fact, he loved details so much that Jethro, his father-in-law, had to tell him, hey, you need more people leading. You're trying to do everything yourself. You need to delegate. You need people to come around and care for other people. So people were divided into thousands and hundreds and fifties and tens because Moses was so good with details and wanted to do so many things. Moses, I'm convinced, struck the rock because he had had enough. The infections that weren't properly dealt with began to seep out. And this wounded prince of Egypt was not able to go into the promised land. Now let me give you a few things that I think are lessons that can be encumbered. This isn't three easy steps. These are just three really big biblical ideas for dealing with where we're hurt. And the first is this. Tell the truth to yourself and to God. President James Garfield was one of just a few presidents who were shot while they were in office. And what would later kill President Garfield was not the bullet itself. It was the doctors, they're poking and they're prodding to find it. And it's really important for us to locate our wounds. Because the wounds that get inflicted, the wounds that get camouflaged, the infection seeps out. And I want to say this in a preventive way, but there's some of you that are about to hit the rock. There are some of you that your life is about power. And because of what's hurting inside of you, you're going to end up hitting your 17-year-old and doing permanent damage. You're, some of, for some of you, you're about to hit the rock and strike it when it comes to lust in your life. You've contained this monster, but it's just uh, eating you up inside. And instead of getting forgiveness and uh, confessing and repenting and finding grace about it, it's going to bring you down and your family down. For some of you, you're about to hit the rock of greed. You know you should walk away from that business deal, but there's something about you, and that's it's the wound inside of you that makes you go toward a deal that could take you down. And God wants you and I to come to him, to hear from him, 
and to do exactly what he says. We need to tell the truth, the truth about yourself, to yourself, and to tell that to God in prayer. You guys ever been to a carnival, to a circus, and there's those carnival mirrors? And you look in there, and as you look, it's just funny. You invite your friends to look, right? It never gets old. And you're looking, and you see you. You're seeing you, but you, you quickly realize that you don't have a 20-inch neck or a 6-inch torso, right? Uh, you're seeing you, but it's a distorted you. And that's what this world can do to us. And where we're hurt inside, we can, we can look and we can see a distorted view of ourselves, and around us there's a lot of trappings, a lot of things that pull us that way. But to see the real truth. The second thing, let me, let's look at Psalm 51.6, a prayer of David after his sin, but you desire honesty from the womb, from the innermost parts. He's going back to his mama, and he's talking about his own interior life, teaching me wisdom even there. That's a great maximum in life that you, know, you can fool people but only for a time. And I say it often, but the healthiest, happiest people I know are those who don't have secrets. Those who come clean. The second thing that's incumbent upon us in dealing with the broken places is to be receptive to God's activity in your life. In the movie Prince of Egypt, Moses' father-in-law sings him a song through heaven's eyes. How do you know your worth in life? or where your real view lies. Don't look at man, don't look at man. He sings, look at your life, look at your life, look at your life through heaven's eyes. This beautiful passage in 2 Corinthians 7, 9 says it this way. Now I'm glad I sent it, not because it hurt you, sent what? Pain. Not because it hurt you, but because the pain caused you to repent and to change your ways. It was a kind of sorrow that God wants his people to have. So you were not harmed by us in any way. There's another passage in Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, verse 71. It says, I was glad that I was inflicted because I learned what I needed to learn. Pain can do that for you. There is a kind of pain that God can really use. And if we tell the truth, to ourselves and to God. And if we're receptive of the activity in his life, his work in our lives, there's a real healing that comes. Thirdly and lastly, become a wounded healer. Before I show you the passage, I want to refer back to a movie without ruining it because some of you still hadn't seen it. But in the, the recently released blockbuster, American Sniper, there's a, a powerful scene where Bradley Cooper, a little bit better looking than the original soldier, right? There's a scene where Bradley Cooper, uh, representing Chris Kyle, goes to the hospital. I think it was after tour number three. And one of his brothers was, one of his comrades was horizontal and was given medical attention. It was, it was the guy that was shot on the roof. And he goes to his bed. And it's a touching scene. It's full of male sarcasm and bravado. But they had taught before, the, before he was shot over there. They had been talking about their ladies back home. And this guy was saving up for a ring, and he was going to get engaged. And this comrade of his on the bed in a very powerful scene says, with his face badly disfigured, 
and the potential of not even being able to see in both eyes ever again. He says through his tears, he says real physical wounds, and he says to his buddy, to Chris Kyle, he says, she could have walked away. She could have said no. She's going to marry me. I got her the ring, and despite this, she's saying yes. And you're cheering for a man, for his wounds physically and emotionally and spiritually to heal. And then not long after that, after tour number four, he's sitting, as, he, as the movie depicts his post-traumatic syndrome, and he's sitting there with a counselor, um, a, a guy that has the look about him of a guy who's never killed another guy. But he's talking clinically and professionally to the most effective, dangerous sniper in American military history. And there was an incident at a family birthday party. And that psychologist is concerned about him, about his emotional woundedness. And he asked him, are you afraid? Are you afraid this is going to happen again? Are you afraid that you're going to hit the rock, if you will, and do something crazy or something more dangerous, something of irreputable harm? He acknowledges his skill and proficiency as the greatest sniper ever. The psychologist does. And he says to him, I'm not thinking a lot about those guys that I killed. I'm thinking about the men I could have saved. And I came home. I quit. And the psychologist says to him, you can go right down that hall and save some people. And the invitation, the very reality. Man, you've, you, could, you go over there and you'll die if you go again. Or you at least won't have a wife and children waiting on you when you get home. But here's what you can do. This guy gave his free advice. He said, you can go down that hallway and those who've been wounded physically, you can be a part of their emotional and mental healing. When I saw that scene, I thought of 2 Corinthians 1.4 where it says this, he comforts us, God does, in all of our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. I have a prayer for Fondren Church that we would be a place full of wounded healers. Not a shiny showroom trying to show off pristine, perfect people, but a living room that's really messy, and where people who've been wounded in battle go to other people. And there's this deep, abiding connection. Studying Moses as I have, and encouraging a lot of you to read Chuck Swindoll's book on Moses. It's a great way to learn more, to go deeper with this series. But I was reading this week from D.L. Moody. He said this about Moses, the first 40, he lived to be 120. Some of you know that. He lived to be 120 years old. D.L. Moody says the first 40 years of his life, he thought he was a somebody. The second 40, he thought he was a nobody. And the final 40, he discovered how God can use a nobody. Here's, here's what I want to point you to as we close. Is the analogy, the parallel, the precursor. That it's not so much a baby in a basket in a river, but it's a baby born in a manger who died on a cross for our transgressions and by his stripes we are healed. Would you pray?
And as you bow, we're going to reflect for a moment. We're going to end our service um, extending an opportunity for some of you, any of you who would want to be prayed for regarding anything. We'll be down front for you. I want to pray that you would just Be challenged today. Be challenged today to look past what you project as strong and sturdy. And there's stories, rings on the inside of you that need to be brought to light, that need to be appropriately shared. And it is the gospel the good news of a baby born in a manger who died on a cross, who was raised on the third day. The scripture tells us that he, he brings healing in our lives. And whether you're beaten down today and feeling like a nobody or you're strutting your stuff feeling like you're somebody, God wants us to discover that we're healthier, we're better, when we have a right view, when we can tell the truth about ourselves, to ourselves, to not to look at us in a carnival mirror, to not let distortion overpower us. I pray that you pray that for our leaders, for our families, for ourselves. God, I pray that you lead us into health. Where is God when I'm wounded? And Lord, often we think of these men and women of the scriptures as over and above us. But we relate in general ways and maybe for some of us in very specific ways. whether it's the loneliness and leadership, the pain of rejection, people grumbling and murmuring about us, whether it's feeling displaced or in a dangerous situation. Lord, we're going to be prone for the infection to seep out, to hit the rock and to do things, to miss what you have for us. Thank you for your redemption. In you we pray. We pray for your healing in Jesus. Amen. Would you stand? We're going to sing and a few of us will be down front. We'd love the honor to pray for you today as we uh, close our service. Would, uh, would want this place to be a place of prayer, though for a few minutes. Um, want to come around you and pray for anything that God has in your life, any need that you have. Would you come today if we can pray over you? Let's all sing our worship to God.